0: Welcome to the Tanya Acker Show. AI is playing an increasingly large role in how we make decisions. And because of that, I wanted to learn a little bit more about how it works and have a conversation uh, in layman's terms with someone who could give me some good information. So I sat down with Greg Mushin. Now, Greg is a software engineer and he wanted to lose some weight. He felt like he'd gotten out of shape during the pandemic and he used ChatGPT to help him develop a running habit. He apparently used to hate running, and not only did he develop a running habit, he acquired, using AI, a whole bunch of other uh, healthy lifestyle habits, and he ultimately lost 26 pounds. So Greg is gonna talk about some of the things that we should think about uh, if we really wanna get the best use out of the machine, and he'll also talk about some of its pitfalls and its vulnerabilities because to be sure my friends as most of you probably know it certainly has them and then i sit down with martinez evans and martinez is the founder of the slow af This is a family-friendly show, but you know what that stands for. It's the Slow AF Run Club. He is also the author of a book by the same name. I think that um, I wanted to talk to Martinez because the whole story of how he started his run club is, to me, a really good example of how you can sometimes take a hater's dart and use it to motivate or incentivize you up or something, but uh, I'll let you hear that when you listen to my conversation with Martinez. But first, here I am with Greg Mushin. Thank you for being here. Welcome to the podcast, Greg. It is so wonderful to see you. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. So first things first, lots of people say, oh, I've got to get in shape. Oh, it's time for me to lose weight. Um, I am one of those people. Tell me what motivated you to make the decision. Like, what was it that caused you to say, I've got to get in shape right here, right now? What was it?
1: You know, I stepped on the scale one day and it was the highest number I'd ever seen. And it was on a a very even cutover number. I was bound and determined not to cross that threshold. (laughs) So I thought to myself, I really need to do something about this. I was, um, during the pandemic, I was working from home a lot and just was not as active as I used to be. And I just knew that I needed to make a change.
0: So it was some pandemic. You gained some pandemic weight, like so many of us. I did,
1: yes. I think a lot of people did. I was I was uh, one of those people.
0: I read something and then also saw another interview where you said it was really important that you get and stay healthy because you're a parent. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so I had a... I have a daughter a little later in life, and one of the things that I started thinking about uh, was wanting to be there for her. And so I think I had just seen a wedding, and I was like, you know, I'm bound to determine to walk my daughter down the aisle. So I've got to just live as long as I possibly can. So that was another thing that I was thinking as well. Uh, I think as you know, she gets older, you just realize how little time you have left together, and I just wanted to maximize that.
0: So before the pandemic, had you struggled with weight?
1: Uh no, before the pandemic i I'd always been really active. I'd never really had a problem. This is the first time uh, that that I gained a lot of weight and and had to lose it. and it was a uh, it was really interesting how difficult it was. I knew that I'd, I'd I'd always heard that from people, but it was very hard to get, um particularly the last you know fifteen pounds off. That seemed like it it took so much effort.
0: I think it's interesting. Um, you're not the first person who's talked about how the pandemic and the lockdown and that whole trauma that we all live, it really changed habits in some ways that I think people are, are still dealing with. So you say, it's time for me to shed these pounds. How, well, before we get to the how, what, what makes you think that chat GPT and AI is the way to go? Why, why go that route? Well,
1: I think for me, I was using it a lot in my daily activities. I write software; spend a lot of my time writing software, and ChatGPT can be great for some of those tasks. So I was really used to doing, you know, a lot of work within ChatGPT. And uh, I think I just had uh, one of the thoughts on a lark. So I live near a running trail. I saw all of these people running, and I just thought to myself, I wish that I could like running it seems like it would be <laughs> so much easier to lose weight but you know i grew up in an era where running was often used as punishment and i you know didn't <laughs> have the <laughs> you know you get in trouble they make you go run right
0: like in PE so class I didn't always, when the PE teacher's like you guys are slacking off do 10 laps like that exactly yeah, exactly. exactly we're in the same era greg <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah So I didn't always have the most positive associations with it. uh, But it looked like these people out on the trail just loved it. And I was like, you know, that'd be a perfect activity if I ever traveled. I'd never have an excuse, you know, for not finding a gym or not having equipment. I just would take a pair of shoes. So it seems like the kind of thing that I could sustain the rest of my life. Um, But there was, you know, I just hated it. Um, So uh, kind of on a lark, I, I just put in this prompt that asked ChatGPT to act as a dual PhD in psychology and neuroscience and devise a plan to get somebody who even somebody who hates running addicted to running um and i th- i thought it was just kind of a joke at first and uh just something to to kind of laugh at but when i started looking at the output i was like you know this this might actually work and because uh, it just started with these really small steps. I think the first step was recommending taking my shoes and putting it by the door, and so I just got up and I did that. And it's so funny how you know something just a small task that you would never think of uh, just you know made me feel kind of accomplished.
0: Greg, can we just take a step back for those of us who aren't software specialists? You mentioned that you use ChatGPT in your job. You're a software uh, designer, software engineer. Assume I am a second grader when it comes to this stuff, and frankly, there are probably some second graders who know way more about it than I do. So... Tell me how you used it in your day job and how it worked. How did it work so well for you? Because, you know, we're hearing all these horror stories. uh, And frankly, I I do think that AI is something that we need to treat with caution. You know, it's a big Mm -hmm. powerful tool and uh, we have to uh, use big powerful tools carefully. Talk to us about how it worked for you in your day job. How do you use it?
1: I'll use it to kind of speed up coding. So I will tell it to you know write a small, uh, what you call functions and, and programming, which is just like a small, you could think of it as like a paragraph that does something. Um, so I was uh, using a lot for that. They actually train it to specifically be good at that. And so it's um, just very, very uh, useful for coding.
0: So then now let's go to your weight loss journey. You tell it, I want you to act like a uh, what, a neuroscientist, did you say? Yes. I want you to act like a neuroscientist and what else?
1: And a psychologist? Oh, uh, sorry, I did a um, neuroscientist and somebody with a PhD in sports uh, science.
0: And you said to it what? Be these things Uh, and then do what for me?
1: Yeah, so devise a plan that would uh, help somebody who hates running uh, get addicted to running.
0: And then how did it start? What was, so what did it, t- after you tell it these things, what does it tell you to do?
1: Uh, so it, it, I, I think I asked it to put together like a three-week plan, but be very detailed about the first seven days, about exactly what to do. So it, it output um, a very good plan, starting with the first seven days. And it was just these really small steps. It was, uh, the, I mentioned the first day was putting it in, putting my shoes by the door so I'd see them. The second day, it was adding uh, when I was going to run, like actually blocking out time for that in my calendar. And then the third day was the first run. And I think I I started to realize where I'd probably gone wrong in the past. I have a tendency you know, when I start something to just go all in. And uh, this was the opposite of that. So it just encouraged me to run for five minutes, which seems so achievable. And it was just like around the block, I think. Um, So I got back and... Five minutes had passed. I didn't hate it. And that's where things started. The second day was to go for another five-minute run. And then it slowly started increasing those. Um, I think I had me take a rest day somewhere in there. But yeah, that's how it all started. And I, you know, after like a week of just these really easy runs, I kind of started to look forward to it.
0: What are the sorts of inputs that you have to give it? You've got a computerized psychologist who's able to um, aggregate expert information from psychologists everywhere. Uh, And that computerized psychologist says, baby steps are the best way to establish a great habit. What do you tell it? Like, what do you put in to say, you just say, I want to run? Or does it ask you about your habits? Does it ask you about other parts of your life? How much information do you give it?
1: Usually you want to give it as much as you possibly can. The best prompts, uh, what they're called prompts, which is just the input into something like ChatGPT is the text that you put in. So typically, the longer the prompt, the better, the more detailed. Uh, but there are a couple tricks. So you know, if you imagine somebody who has read everything on the Internet, that's basically what ChatGPT has 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 done, they've, they've trained it on all, the, all of the available text on the internet. So there's a lot of text out there mm. that it could draw from. So one of the tricks is you really want to narrow it down. Uh, so narrow down the available text that it's going to be pulling from. So when you tell it to act as, insert the blank, that really helps uh, limit the amount of text that it's pulling from. In this case, it was you know a dual PhD. So now it's going to be looking at more scientific papers. In neuroscience, so now it's you know pulling neuroscience papers, um, exercise science, so now it's pulling those two. Those are just kind of simple tricks that you can use for for writing prompts, and then uh, it does really well when you're very prescriptive about what you want for the output. You know, in this case, it was put together a plan using research-backed methods uh, to you know get somebody who hates running addicted to running output the first seven days in detail. So the more detailed you can get, the more specific you can get in the prompt that you give it, the better quality output you're generally gonna have.
0: You mentioned that it's like pulling all of this information from the internet. Now you and I both know that there's a lot of bad information on the internet. Um, there
1: certainly is. Right?
0: So how do you know that when it's pulling all this information, it's sifting between the good and the bad, right? Like if so, like someone could mm-hmm. say, "I really want to lose weight," da, da da da, and then it might try to like direct you to somebody who's improperly selling Ozempic or something, right? So how do you know? How do you um, how do you make the judgment call to determine that the prompts that it's giving you are actually things you should be paying attention to?
1: Yeah, you bring up a, a very good point. So a lot of these models have a limitation, and uh, they are notorious for what's called hallucination. And hallucination in this context is just outputting incorrect information or even making things up. So it's really important to check any of the output that you get and make sure that it's you know accurate, that it's it's safe. Generally, it's pretty good, but you know you still need to check. So in this case, I asked it to list the papers that it that it referenced and the scientific papers. And so uh, it referenced those. I made sure that they were real because that's one of the things. It could literally, you know, sometimes make up uh, papers. Um, so it made sure that those were real. I uh, kind of skimmed through the abstract. And so that was, that was one way that I did it, was just have it output what it was referencing and then just check those things to make sure that it was proper.
0: It's such a good point because it goes to what a lot of You know, even proponents of uh, AI have said that you still need to have some kind of filter, some sort of human backstop. And you, in this case, were that backstop because you asked it, what's your basis for all of this information that you're giving me? And then you were able um, to make some judgments based on the sources that you received. That's really helpful, and I think it's important for people to know that. So how did it has you start slow— What are the incentives and things that it does to get you to push forward and go to the next level?
1: One thing that I really uh, realized after doing this was how powerful taking things slowly can be. I didn't realize that before, I guess to to the extent that I did afterwards, but I think that when you take a step forward, you're you're kind of starting your journey, you're committing yourself. And the other thing that uh, I think that you start doing is, uh, being a little proud of yourself when you accomplish something, even if it's small, uh, you feel good about it, and it motivates you a little bit more to accomplish something else. I do think that starting small, taking really small steps, uh, can be can lead to very powerful things. And then also just just going slowly and not making it miserable. I think that was the other thing. It really encouraged me to run at a at a really slow pace, and uh, gave me permission to walk if I needed to. So, I think if I hadn't had those tips, I would have been out there probably, you know, sprinting, and then I'd be really tired. I might get injured and I'd be less motivated to do it again. So, I think having something that was actively encouraging me to take things slowly was so helpful. And then I used it a lot throughout kind of my journey. I used it to ask about uh, injury prevention, it gave me different exercises that I could do to. Uh, strengthen like my hip muscles, which are really important to running. Uh, I asked it about a uh, knee pain that I had one day and if I should, you know, hold off on my run. Uh, it advised that I should. So uh, I okay. think another powerful, <laughs> yeah, it is. It is pretty amazing. I and ha- if I hadn't had that, I'm sure I would have just pushed through. So I think it's just pretty incredible how personalized it can be, and that's just it's really powerful. You can just put in all of you know, your personalized stats, and it can make recommendations based off that.
0: You talk about the impact and the motivation of um, that comes with seeing progress. And I read that, and you just alluded to it, but uh, I, I read an interview with you where you talked about how the impact that you saw from these small changes inspired you to make other changes, nutritional changes, other kinds of lifestyle changes. Tell us a little bit about that, if you would.
1: When I started seeing these changes, it really made me wonder, like, what else could I change in my life? And could I use these same techniques to make other other good habits? So one of them was nutrition. I wanted to make sure that I was getting enough calories, that my kind of macronutrients were right. Also, I always found it really hard. You, you can get the calories. It's really easy to put those out from like a calculator. You can get the macros, but what's more difficult is, okay, well now how do I cook a delicious tasting meal from that that meets those macros? So that was another thing that I had it do was output like daily meal plans that would attain those macronutrients. Um, I had it uh, create like a spreadsheet of all of these different dish names and then I would, I would have it write the detailed uh, recipe for the ones that I liked. That's how it helped me in nutrition. I was realizing that I probably wasn't sleeping as much as I could. Uh, running had actually inspired me to get an Apple Watch. And then the Apple Watch, once I had that, I realized that, oh, wow, I'm not I'm not sleeping enough. I'm not getting enough deep sleep. And so I asked it how to improve that. It had some you know, pretty amazing tips for... How to go and improve my bedroom, make changes there so that it's a better sleeping environment. Uh, how to uh, properly wind down for bed. I was doing a few things wrong, like using electronics way too late. I told it I was really bored, and you know, putting down electronics an hour before bed seemed really boring. And had it suggest things to do within that hour. <laughs>
0: like what? What did it <laughs> tell you to do?
1: <laughs> so it said, you know you could do some stretching and like, oh, I could do you know different running exercises during that time frame. It suggested that I you know pre- prepare for my next day. So like you know putting clothes out, you know different things like that, uh, uh, reading. So after a while, it's kind of funny, I started to really look forward to that like wind down ritual because I realized, oh, it's it's kind of great. you know you can journal a little bit, you know enter uh, kind of empty your head of these thoughts. Set out your clothes for the next day. Kind of get things ready for breakfast. Read a little bit. Do some do some stretching or exercises. So um, yeah, I really I really uh, kind of grew to like that routine.
0: What do you think is the impact of having a you know this platform or device that's not you kind of give you these prompts? Because some of this stuff, you know, for certain, like uh, we've been hearing for a long time, we should put the devices down. Our parents told us when we were little, get ready for the next day. You know, some of this stuff seems common sense, but it seems that hearing it or reading it or absorbing it, you know, from the machine, (laughs) from the machine, (laughs) uh, somehow gives it more impact. I mean, tell me a little bit about why getting this information, some of which I'm sure you already knew through this platform, made it easier to follow through.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I always have a lot of questions. I think my, my life would honestly probably be a lot easier if I just listened to what people said. But I always, I always wonder why and be like, you know, is that that big of a deal? I think that for me, one of the things that's really powerful is I can ask, well, you know, why should you put down your electronics? Um, mm. Why does it have to be an hour? Mm. Uh, and it'll give me the answer and kind of convince me and uh i can ask a whole bunch of you know like follow-up questions on that i think for somebody who's really curious and needs to understand okay well is is that the biggest lift or you know is that kind of something that you can kind of do that's maybe optional that will help you is that going to get you the the 90 or the last 10 percent? so it can really kind of help you through that um and then you're right like so many of these things are so common sense you know you can google different things, read articles on it. But I think the the true power, at least for me, is to personalize it and to be able to ask a lot of follow-up questions. Uh, from my standpoint, I think that it just convinces me that, okay, yeah, that is the right thing to do. It's not arbitrary.
0: Have you worked with a personal trainer, like a human, before a human trainer? Yes.
1: <laughs> um, yes.
0: Are there things that, I mean, is it kind of, in your view, a neutral or do you think, You know, all things being equal, get a human. Uh, What's the, how would you compare the two experiences?
1: Having a personal trainer that's a human, I think that's really hard to beat. They are so knowledgeable. They are really good at getting you results. I once had a personal trainer and it was amazing, like the difference that it made in like even a short period of time uh, in about four months. But I think that, you know, uh, it's also a lot of work to find one, to go hire one, uh, to you know, go to the physical location sometimes, and it can be you know it can be expensive. So I think that a human is still going to be so much better, but I think that you know AI can be a little bit more accessible. It can be faster. You can ask um, a lot of questions anytime that you have them, instead of you know waiting until you you go ask your coach. So I I don't think it's necessarily there to substitute, but I think that just a little bit different. And it can also coach you in a whole bunch of areas of life. And so I think for this, you know, I might have needed a sleep coach, a nutrition coach, a running coach, you know, a stretching coach. So it can tell you a little bit about a lot. And I think that's another power of it.
0: You lost 26 pounds over a three-month period. Are you still working with ChatGPT? Is that still your... Uh, is, is, is it, (laughs) are they, is it still giving you, uh, (laughs) advice?
1: It is. Yeah. I have, uh, I ask it questions all the time. I asked it to help me start, uh, weight training, uh, to what, what those weight training days would look like. Um, so I've continued to refine, uh, the technique.
0: You mentioned that in order really to, to, in order for it to be most effective, You've got to give it information. you've got to give it information about yourself, your habits, your body, all of that, not to get all like black mirror conspiracy on you, but <laughs> did that ever concern you? you know, putting so much of your personal information into this platform? Yeah, I think it's
1: always you know a concern in the back of my mind. I was putting you know even detailed information about my heart rate or my um, heart rate variability recovery metrics. So I would put a lot of information in. And, uh, yeah, it was always kind of in the back of my mind, uh, you know, is this, is this information safe? Is this going to be, you know, exposed on the internet? I would not really like that if, you know, somebody were, had access to all that information. Uh, so, yeah, it did, it did cross my mind. Um, at the same time, you know, we always have to benefit, uh, analyze the, the risk versus the benefits. And in this case, I thought that getting healthier... And having a much healthier lifestyle was probably worth the risk, the small risk that my personal information might be divulged.
0: Well, I think to your point, we're constantly engaged in this risk-benefit analysis when we encounter or discover new technologies, new therapies, like new things that can help us. Would you agree with so many experts? Uh, I'm not an expert, but I I certainly am of this opinion that at some point we're going to have to come up with some way... Some regulatory mechanism, some way of ensuring that AI is to the best that we can manage, used for our benefit, and can't just uh, go running amok on its own or be manipulated by other people. I mean, don't you think we need some rules?
1: I think we definitely will need some rules at some point in time. I think uh, the question that I have is, you know, what when is that time, and how do we how do we balance innovation? And, and access to innovation uh, versus you know regulation and then how do you how do you kind of quantify those risks really well because AI also has the ability to do a lot of amazing great uh, a lot of amazing things for us it can find drugs uh, to help with you know battle cancer it can help with all sorts of scientific purposes so um, and putting in regulation, uh can make that innovation a little bit more inaccessible for people because they they will have to uh say for example you know do thorough testing that's expensive and wasn't there before so i think that it's really important for us as a society to be you know very mindful of putting in regulation and make sure that it's going to strike the right balance of safety and the speed of innovation
0: It's the riddle that every generation has to deal with, right? I mean, we're always trying to find that sweet spot. You don't want to hamper innovation. You want people uh, to come up with great new things. um, But you also want to make sure that those great new things aren't abused or manipulated or or put to bad purposes. This is why I have smart people on to think it all through. I I do think we'll get there, people. Greg, congratulations on your 26 pounds and counting. I, I think it's a great example of using whatever devices are at your disposal Uh, to try to make a decision real and more meaningful. So congratulations to you on that. Uh, Is your little girl really proud of how you've uh, come through this? And uh, is, is she really happy about what you've done?
1: I think so. Yeah, I've told her about it and she seems pretty interested in it.
0: You're ready to walk her down the aisle or she's got many, many, many more years yet.
1: She's still sick, so hopefully there are a few years Boys, stay
0: away from Greg's (laughs) daughter. Partners, she's not ready yet. She's only six. Uh, Greg, thank you so much for being here. I I, I really, I feel like I I learned a lot about this platform. Maybe I will, um, maybe I'll use it. But coming up, folks, uh, on a later episode, I will have my great human trainer, and she's got some thoughts too. But Greg Mushan, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Hi, it's Tanya. Thank you for being here. And please don't forget to subscribe to my podcast. It's available on all major podcast platforms. You can also go to my website, tanyaackershow.com and subscribe there. And also, please subscribe to my YouTube channel because we are here for you in video. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you. Now, here I am with Martina Sevens, founder of the Slow AF Run Club. Welcome, Martinez. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: First things first, I understand that Slow AF, (laughs) such an awesome name, was born from a marathon. But first, let's talk about why you ran the marathon in the first place. Because my understanding is that it's because somebody told you that you shouldn't do it. Tell me about that.
2: Well, you know, life is all about people telling you you can't do something and you do it anyway. So back in 2012, I was working at Men's Warehouse at the time and I I started to develop some hip issues. So I went to go see a doctor. And uh, as I'm sitting in this doctor's office, telling them like, what's going on with my hip? Hey doc, you know, I just started this new job at Men's Warehouse. I'm wearing dress shoes all day. I used to play football. My hip hurts. Please help. The doctor looks at me and says, I know why you're in pain. Me, okay, well, why am I in pain then? And he was like, you're fat. Lose weight or die. So he then goes on to say, uh, you need to start walking to lose weight and all this other stuff, right? And I'm like, this don't make sense because I'm already on my feet eight to 10 hours a day on the sales floor. I was like, I'm going to run a marathon. And he was like, if you run a marathon, you will die. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, lose weight or die. If I run the marathon, I'll die. You don't sound you don't sound well. So I'm just gonna to try to run this marathon, and we'll just see what happens. And then uh, from there, I went to go buy some running shoes. And about 18 months after uh, meeting that doctor, I ran my first marathon.
0: How did you train for the marathon? Because that's got to be you know pretty off-putting. I mean, this isn't somebody just being. Mean this is a medical professional saying, you're not healthy enough to do this yet. So how did you build up to it?
2: How I did this, like I said, it took me about 18 months. So I started on uh, this program called Couch to 5K. So it's like an app you can download on your phone or you can uh, download the the program. And I started there. So I did Couch to 5K and then uh, started running some 5Ks, which is 3.1 miles. And then from there, I got a little bored. So then I started training for 10K. And did the same thing. Started running a couple 10Ks and then started training for a half marathon, which is 13.1 miles. Ran a couple of those. And then from there, uh, I felt confident enough to actually fully train for a full marathon, which is 26.2 miles.
0: Now, let's talk about the club because this is really kind of genius on your part. I think I read on mile 16 or so of the marathon and some... This is a family-friendly show, so I'll just say <laughs> some jerk, some unpleasant person uh, starts taunting you. Yeah. Uh, and this leads to you doing the great thing that you did. So tell us what, what's happening. You're on mile 16 of the marathon. Meanwhile, dude who we're about to talk about was sitting there doing nothing while you're running. You're running. He says what, you do what?
2: So, yeah, I'm at New York City Marathon. So, 40,000 people running this race. Mile 16 is the Queensboro Bridge, So anybody who ever ran this race. Queensboro Bridge is a very nasty bridge. For first, first of all, there's no spectators, right? It's just you, the person next to you, and the the sounds of the trains. So, it's almost defeating. So, I get off of this bridge, and I get on first half, and there's this guy... Uh, on the sidelines with a beer in his hand and he's like pointing at me, right? So I'm thinking he's about to give me a high five or something. So i go over there, I take off my earbuds and he's like, you're slow. You're slow as... you're slow AF. <laughs> 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 and he tells me I need to go home. So I'm like, what? So, in, in true New York fashion, I get in the argument with this guy and I tell him he need to go home because he's the one that's drinking and I'm the one that's running the race. So, when I finished this race, I vowed to myself that I'm going to wear slow AF across my chest, just like the ass on Superman. Um, <laughs> it was more of like a big middle figure to him. But also, you know, I, I, I seen it as a badge of honor. So for individuals who are in the back, right, like people ridicule us, they point at us, they tell us lose weight, get faster. I've ran races where they ran out of water, ran out of snacks. I've gotten lost on races because they took down the directional signs. And in spite of all of those things happening, I still made it to the finish line. So for me, slowly off just meant like um, determination and encouragement and to let everybody else know that they can do the same thing.
0: And it also, like, tells you something about the psychology of the hater, right? Because the hater's not running. The hater's sitting there with a beer uh, (laughs) talking about something that he's not even uh, able to do. I mean, it's such a wonderful story because I love how you took that, you know, kind of intentional negativity and turned it into something great. And now your running club has over 10,000 members
2: all over the country. 16,000 members.
0: 16,000 members. Um, I read that one of the rules of the club is that it's not about weight because mm-hmm. this is not about running, you know, to look a certain way. It's about running for the love of it. Why is that important for you to communicate to people?
2: So, my thing is that this, like, you know, what would a world look like if we took shame out the picture and we just added joy? And for me, what that means is adding joy into physical activity. So, Tanya, a lot of people that I coach, they they follow in this cycle. They, they're they overweight, somebody tell them they need to lose weight, yada, yada, yada. They get the courage to start being active. They're active for about two or three weeks. Um, and then they look at the scale and they don't lose weight. Or sometimes they may even gain weight. And then they get discouraged and don't wanna no exercise anymore, right? And my notion is that everybody should be active full stop. Regardless if you lose weight or not lose weight, There's so many benefits to being physically active, you know, heart rate, blood pressure, A1Cs, all of that stuff gets gets fixed in a positive way by being physically active, whether if you don't be, whether or not you lose weight or not. So my notion uh, inside the Run Club is that we don't talk about weight loss. We only talk about how to be physically active and what are the things you need to be staying, uh, what are the things you need it to stay motivated to be physically active.
0: This running journey really inspired you to kind of embrace uh fitness and health as a profession too. Am mm-hmm. I right about that? Tell me, tell us about that.
2: Absolutely. Like wow. running has took me to places that I've never been to in my whole life, right? So now like this is what I do full time, right? I'm the founder of this run club. I go run races. I go speak to people, and it's really about preaching the gospel that everyone should be active and then finding ways so that they can be active.
0: Are you finding that the space that you've created is giving rise to more people who look every kind of way, embracing uh, their bodies and physical activity and being comfortable out there on the road?
2: Absolutely. You know, that's really the goal. Like, even the goal with Slow F Run Club, our goal is to inspire 1 million people to start running in the body that they have now. It don't say 1 million skinny people. It just says 1 million <laughs> people. So we're there to inspire all people to just be active.
0: And what you also said is that you're there to help the sport of running be more accommodating. Because, by the way, I, the, I, I did a marathon on a bike once. Okay. I ran a half marathon um, a while back, and that's it. Like I'm done. I, I don't need to do <laughs> anything else with marathon in the word. But what I'll say is this, and then I'd probably be, you know, one of the ones further in the back, what's great is that you're reminding people that you know, you need to have snacks, you need to have water. Like it's not just about the people at the front of the pack. You want to make sure that everybody, has a comfortable time and Everybody's comfortable and has a good time. How often do you go out now? So what's your running routine?
2: So before I got on this, I'm, I'm currently on a 40 date book tour. So um, my running schedule is a lot different um, now versus back then before this book came out. But I would say I, I typically run three to five days a week, uh, depending on if I'm like training for a marathon. If I'm training for a marathon, it's more towards four to five days a week uh, with a, a long run on Saturday or Sunday. When I'm not training for anything, it can go down to about three, three times a week, running uh, about three to five miles.
0: Talk to us about your book.
2: So Why my did book... did you want
0: to do that? Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely. Slowly Up Run Club, the ultimate guide for anybody who wants to run. This book here is the how-to manual that I wish I would have had when I first started running 10 years ago. So how the book is broken down is that each chapter has a cautionary tale. So something that I encountered throughout my running journey, be it somebody heckling me, or be it me running and feeling lightheaded because I haven't ate nothing all day, and so on and so forth. And me providing tips and tricks for that, for those individuals to not fall in the same uh, pitfalls that I found when I started running.
0: I interviewed uh, Greg Mushin. He's a software engineer who used ChatGPT AI to help him develop a running habit. Uh, He said he hated to run, he wanted to get in shape, and the machine (laughs) uh, gave him tips, one of which was to really start gradual. And I noticed, you know, I've read... um, that you've said the same thing. The machine is just taking your good advice. (laughs) Uh, That starting gradual is the best way to develop a physical fitness habit. So advise people, you know, there's somebody listening, watching right now, who's like, you know what? I wanna like start to feel better. I need to control the diabetes. I need to do, you know, whatever, endorphins, what have you. Talk to people about your advice about how they just get going.
2: Absolutely. So my advice is that if you're just starting out running, a simple 15-second run, anybody can run for 15 seconds. So go out there, run for 15 seconds, and then walk for a minute and a half. And then repeat that for 30 minutes. It's just as simple as that. And then do that for three times a week. And then um, after doing it for three weeks, increase from 15 seconds to 30 seconds. So now you run for 30 seconds. And say maybe you walk for a minute instead of a minute and a half. And you continue to increase your running every week and decrease your walking until you get to the point where you're just running straight through. Very easy.
0: And then at what point, how long does it take to get to the 5K if you're doing that?
2: So it'll take you anywhere between um, eight to 10 weeks from getting off the couch and running consistently um, to to get to a 5K.
0: I still think Martinez, you know, the running is phenomenal. Uh, embracing that physical fitness is necessary. But what I especially love about the story is how you just took this very, you know, this negativity and flipped it. So before we go, say if you would, you know, somebody is struggling right now. Somebody who is an earshot or watching is struggling with a hater. <laughs> They're struggling. I just know it. There is somebody struggling with a hater. Uh, give people some good advice for handling the hate and turn it and flipping it.
2: So I would tell people is that like every obstacle that you encounter is an opportunity to uh, show up and prove yourself and other people that you can't do it. Yes, it's the haters, but I think um, the thing that I learned the most is that I've said worse or things to myself than any hater can say. So one of the things that I learned throughout this whole journey is being able to recognize my inner self-talk. And one of the things that I do inside the book is uh, rename my inner critic to Otis. And basically what I do with this inner critic is be able to have conversations and reason with it so that I'm no longer talking and saying those nasty things to myself.
0: Are you no. able to shut Otis down?
2: Absolutely. You know, once you be able to shut down Otis, you don't have to worry about the haters because haters are going to hate.
0: But isn't that the truth that sometimes the, the most powerful criticism is that which we direct to ourselves? And what's even more beautiful is that, you know, forget that one drunk dude on the bridge You gave rise to a movement, and it created so much love for other people, people who are learning to love themselves, people who love Slow AF Running Club. I want to say the name, but it's family friendly. (laughs) And Martinez, you've just created a snowball effect of goodness. So I appreciate you so much. Thank you for being here, and thank you for sharing the love and spreading the message.
2: Thank you, Tanya. Thank you for having me.